As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. If you've got your Bibles with you, oops, okay, I want to make sure I didn't turn that by mistake. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are going to begin. I know we've got a, a couple of truckers, past, present here. Anybody else do a lot of driving big rigs? Had experience of driving big trucks? Let me ask you this, Tim. Have you been to Bolivia lately? No. No, okay. Have you ever been to Bolivia? Not that I can call. No. Are you planning to go to Bolivia? Not that I am aware of. Okay. So you haven't or will ever experience driving on Bolivia's best known road called Death Road. You wouldn't, wouldn't, would you want to experience that? You couldn't pay me enough. Couldn't pay enough. Well, you know what? There were three gentlemen who applied for a job to do that. They did. One particular gentleman came in and he was pretty, pretty confident in himself. And again, the, this, this job that was posted was for a driver in this particular road in Bolivia, nicknamed Bolivia's Death Road. I'm not even going to pronounce what the little name is because I will butcher it up and you won't be able to Google it for nothing. But if you Googled Bolivia's Death Road, you'll get there. There are crosses, there are signs throughout the road's curvatures showing places where people have lost their lives. I ran across a particular story where uh, a bus ran off the ravine. There's a 1,600-foot drop, and all lost their lives. So this ad went out to find drivers willing to drive the road. So three came in and were in the interview process. And so the question was, uh, you know, how would you drive this road? And one particular gentleman said, you know, um, I could do that in my sleep. You know, won't do it in my sleep, but I could easily do it in my sleep. As a matter of fact, I'm very confident in my skills that I could get as close to the edge without going over. I can get 
your truck and its payload to its destination. No problem. Second guy, his response was, you know what? I'm not that, not that confident, but I'm going to stay in the middle of the road. I can stay in the middle of the road because, you know, that's the safest place. So you can count on me. I can get your load there without any problems. Then the third guy interviewed, he, he says, you know what? I'm not getting to the edge. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to get in the middle of the road. What if I'm on the edge? Yeah, something bad could happen. If I drive in the middle, now I become an obstruction to the oncoming vehicles. Now, when you go back and look at the pictures of the road, how can two vehicles get through there? But he says, you can. He says, I'm going to snug up against the mountain. He says, that is the safest place. It keeps me away from the edge. It keeps me from being a distraction from any other drivers that coming. And that is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be snug up against the mountain. Now, if you were to guess which of the three got the job? Was it the one who said, I'm good at this. The edge doesn't bother me a bit. Would it be the one who drives in the middle of the road being confident or would it be the guy who snugly drives up against the road or against the mountain? Who would you think? Three. Yeah, you're right. The gentleman that snugly drove up against the mountain, the safest place, the furthest away from danger and harm away from the distractions or being kind of the, the, the roadblock if anybody else would come around. Well, that was the safest place, and that won him the job. But really for us in our walk with Christ, that's really a good answer for us. I mean, how many of us want to go through life driving on the precipice of danger all the time, thinking, I got this covered. I can do this without a problem. I can see where there'll be many times where I would be stumbling and would have great big bruises on my face because of the dangers in life. Where we are, the safest places to be. Working out our salvation, as we're looking at this morning, it's really part of the central text of what we're going to be reading this morning. And we are called to work out that which God has already placed within us, and that is salvation. Salvation, though, is a process, but we forget about that because of how we use the word. You've probably heard this phrase, you know, are you saved? You know, that's a phrase that gets thrown out there. We ask people, are you saved? Really, what we're asking is if they made a commitment to Christ. But salvation, on the other hand, it, rever it re uh, refers to the fullness of God's redemption, there's three components of salvation. One is the regeneration. That is the point where we come to know Christ as Lord. That's what we consider to be born again. That is where we are drawn by God to himself and we receive that forgiveness. But it continues on through sanctification. That is the process of spiritual maturity where we are progressively conformed to the image of Christ. And then it culminates in glorification. That is when we receive our spiritual bodies and we're brought into that actual presence of God himself. And so as a believer this morning, you are in that second stage, that stage of sanctification. 
Now, God desires that every area of our life is transformed. And Paul gives a number of pictures to kind of represent Christians who are Christ-minded and are doing this very thing. He's portrayed them as obedient children of God, seeking to honor the Father. He's shown them as stars shining in the dark world. He's also shown them as athletes who hold out their batons for the runner. And in verse 17 and 18 of our main text, Paul even describes himself as a drink offering being poured out on the altar. You see, where there is Christ-mindedness, where there is a humble mind, there has to be sacrifice and service. And so for us to work out our faith, we have got to do a few things that Paul highlights. And Paul says it's possible for us to work out our salvation because, one, God works in a willing servant. God works in a willing servant. Let's read verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Now, While there is a beginning point in our salvation experience, the point of repentance and justification, the time of our faith and commitment to Christ, it's only just the beginning. When I ask people about their faith story, I love hearing those moments when they came to that realization of their need for Christ. But if that is all I hear, I am concerned that they are lacking, they are immature in that process, immaturing in their own faith. Because it is a process. We are to work out our salvation, growing in maturity. Paul has this appeal in verse 12, if you notice. In verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation. See, the work out, it's a word which always has the idea of bringing to completion. It's as if Paul is saying, okay, don't start something and just stop halfway. You need to finish it. You need to go all the way until the work is completely done. So what do we do that? How do you do that? You see, for the Philippians... They were being told to work out, to put into practice in their daily lives what God had put in them through the Holy Spirit. Now, for them, there was a tendency to lean heavy on Paul. Paul was a a very good teacher, and, and so they leaned on him for his guidance. And remember now, Paul is in prison. He is in bondage and chains, and so he's not there with them. And so there was concern for them that they would not follow through. So he is bribing or preventing, preventing, there's my word tongue, providing encouragement to them. And even in my absence, I want you to continue in this progress of growth. Now you won't be just listening directly from me. Now I want you to listen directly from the Lord. 
Now notice something that is not there in the text. Paul didn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. See, there's a huge difference there. You see, we obtain salvation by receiving it as a gift. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. The apostle had in mind that the present aspect of our salvation, that is the sanctification, we are laborers together with God. And so it is important to understand that, that this process is not something that we started. It's not something that we can change. It is something that God has already started within us, but it is up to us to work it out. We are to work out our salvation by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is within us. That Holy Spirit is given to us when we make that profession of faith, whenever we receive him as Lord. And in verse 13 of our text, Paul is pointing out that the working out of this means the realization of the power of God to do his will and the enjoyment of that communion with God. Again, he says, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. See, the Philippians were responsible for living out the meaning of their salvation, for moving forward, moving toward the goal in obedience and loving commitment. And that is no different for us today to do the very same thing. Now, we could kind of liken that gift of salvation to the gift of a gold mine. Any, anybody recently received gold mine as, as like an inheritance or anything? Not yet, not yet. Is, is, there's hope. There's always. there's always hope. Yes, there is. But imagine you receive this wonderful inheritance of a gold mine. You could tell all your friends and neighbors, I got a gold mine. You go to the store and you go to buy stuff. You tell them, I got a gold mine. They said, that's great. That'll be $20. But I got a gold mine. Well, where's the gold? Well, it's there. Having that inheritance is great, but now you got to go to the gold mine and you got to work it. You got to work it out. That is the same with our salvation. We have been given a great treasure, but that is of no practical use unless we work it out. There is an action that Paul shows us in verse 13 when he says, it is God who works in you. Again, Paul is encouraging them, even when he is not there, he wants to motivate them. He understands that if they would but understand God's purpose, his place in their abilities. He's reminding them that God was at work, not just with them, but also in them. We have to keep in mind, we, we talked about a little bit today when David in Psalms 139 talking about Everything about God, where he was, God, David's understanding of, of God's presence in his life. God is not some invisible thing that's way out there that has no impact on our lives. 
but he has a presence in our lives, a presence that will change how we think. It will change how we act. And so Paul is encouraging them, even though I am not there, remember God is there. Allow him to be that motivator for you working out your faith. I think we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. There's probably some things that we, if our spouse was right beside us, we would not do. But if no one is around, we might have second thoughts. But consider that God is ever present. And so that is part of the motivating factor as believers that we must be constantly working out our salvation. There was, there was a little girl, she was listening to the preacher talking about this same text about grace and being saved. And so she kind of tugged on her mom and she asked her mom, how can you work it out if it hasn't gotten in? And that is an important notation. How can you work out salvation if it's not in? And that is the difference, is it not? There are a lot of folks, there are a lot of other religions that really their part is they're attempting to work it in. They're trying to say it's them, it's what you do. But the fact that Christ, he has already done the work. There's nothing we can do to make the work. It's already done. We must work it out. And then there was an accomplishment that he notates here. In verse 13, the latter part, when he says, for his good purpose. Other translation says, for his good pleasure. It is comforting that the apostle adds this in this area. Everything good is freely given of God. And no one deserves anything from him. Tim, I didn't even remember. We were talking about this very thing in Sunday school. Yes, we were. But it is for the sake of and with a view to the execution of God's good pleasure that God, as the infinite source of spiritual and moral energy for all of us, causes them, causes us to work out our own salvation. And so this gives a confidence that God desires both to motivate and to enable us. Talking a lot about little girls today, there's another little girl. She came up to her father, who's a preacher, and she asked a question, says, Daddy, can, can a person go their whole life without sinning? And he says, darling, I, I don't think that's possible. She says, well, how about a year? Can they go a whole year? No, honey, I don't, I don't think that's possible. How about a day? Can someone go a whole day without sinning? He says, well, it's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. She says, well, how about for a moment? Can someone go without sinning for a moment? He says, yeah, that's possible. So she said, Daddy, then I want to live my life moment to moment. 
we should be doing that ourselves, should we not? Living life moment by moment as if the moment were our last, knowing that as we work out our salvation, we are doing it for his good pleasure. I'm missing a page. There we go. So we've seen that it is possible to work out our salvation because God's work in a willing servant, but he also works in a watchful servant. A willing servant, but also a watchful servant. Let's read verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. There is an aspect of contentment in a watchful servant. The word without that Paul is using here kind of suggests an, an isolation. And so Paul could be referring to that we must be isolated from murmurings and disputes. See, grumblings arise from kind of like discontentedment. The problem is that we may, uh, we can't control their lives, you know, patience and contentment. I mean, the idea of, well, we think of children. I mean, when we don't get our way, don't, you've seen them pout just a little bit, just a little bit. Adults never pout when we don't get our way, right? No, no, no. We're mature. But we probably have to admit when we don't get our way, we're upset. We may be a bit angry. But we can be discontented with our circumstances. Someone is always getting the upper hand and we're just not happy with that. We allow that discontent, those mumblings, those disputings, they can overtake us. And if we're not careful, they can become a habit within us. Sometimes we can obey outwardly. I've said this a number of times, it keeps coming up, but it is an attitude. We, we spoke last week about having the attitude of Christ. It is so important that as believers, when we serve him, that not only are we outwardly serving him, but we are doing it with the right attitude as well. Because I can guarantee you, and I've seen it in my daughter. Oh, no, she's there. Sorry. The other daughter that's not here, she's on Zoom. If someone is not happy with what they're doing, their facial expressions and their body language will tell you they're not happy. You have to be a mature adult to be able to hide those kind of emotions. But we must have the attitude well as the actions that cover. There's the Sunday school teacher. He kept telling his boys, are we going to be whiners or shiners? And of course, all the boys are going, we're going to be shiners. 
not whiners. We are to be shiners as well. But there is a confession here that we need to see. Verses 15 and 16. See, there's a, a testimony. Lights or shine as lights in the world. You know, we're living in a dark world. If you've been in a bubble, you probably haven't noticed. But there are a lot of not so good things happening in our world today. All around us, people whose lives are bent and warped by sin. Keep in mind, at one point we were as some, and because of God's grace, we have been rekindled with God's light. God has sent us into this dark world as lights. I'd mentioned earlier, of what importance is a light if it's covered? Of what value is a fire if it is dim? If the intent of the fire is to bring light, life, direction, notification of pending doom, if that fire is dimmed or is vacant, what purpose is it? And so it is important for us that our lamps shine brightly so that when we do things, others will be drawn to us. They will be drawn to the safety that's there, the warmth, the protection, and the direction that it gives. Paul points out in verse 15 when he says, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. The word blameless in, in this translation can be innocent or unmixed or unadulterated. That term is a lot used when it comes to unalloyed metal, metals that aren't mixed with others. Or it can be used with wine that isn't mixed with water. But what Paul is really trying to say here is, is don't be mixed with the world. Don't be mixed with its, its sentiments, with its philosophies and attitudes. You are to be different. Again, when a world that is looking for different, when a world is looking for hope, but all they see is people who mimic the world, then they are unable to find their way. We must be different. And the challenge is for us to let our lights shine unhindered and bright. And then Paul talks about a truth here when he says in verse 16, hold firm to the message of life. Again, as luminaries in a world of spiritual darkness, we are to hold firm to the message of life. I mentioned earlier about the towers that were built at the, the corners of the harbors. Again, those were used as directors. They, they brought the ships in. They told them where the harbor was. And same thing for us. Those who live their lives for Christ, by our lives, by that conversation, they are the means of directing others to Christ. So we must burn bright, burn bright. Last thing that we will see is that not only God, he works in a willing and a watchful servant, but he also works 
and a warm-hearted servant. That has no connection with folks that are cold-blooded. Just FYI there. Okay. Warm-hearted. Verses 17 and 18. Paul says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice in me. There's a challenge by Paul. There was a challenge back in Romans 12:1 when he says, By the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. But then there was a warning. There was a reminder that Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, verse 4, when he says, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Notice the sacrifice that Paul is talking about here. When he says, Being poured out as a drink offering. See, obedience is one essential to working out our salvation. <laughs> I can guarantee you there will be words that you read in God's word and you go, oh boy, you really know what you're asking me to do here. Do you know who my parents are? Do you know who my friends are? What will they say? What will they do? We are called to walk in obedience. You see, for Paul, there was a degree of obedience that deserves a really note here, that abandonment to the extravagance of his obedience. I mean, he's saying, if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Anybody here an admitted control freak? control. I mean, that is one of the things that a lot of people, and I will include myself in, in a lot of cases, you want to know when it's going to happen. You want to know how it's going to happen. You want to know the process upon which it will happen. And then you want to know when it's done. You want every control down to the minutia. Maybe you've got the stopwatch out going, yep, it's time to start this part. But when that control is gone, you think life is over. I thought my life was over. No, I didn't. When, the, when we had kids. Kids just ruin the whole timetable thing, don't they? What control is life can be with kids? I love them. I love them. But, but is that, that giving up control in our own lives to abandon ourselves in faith to the process that Christ has for us I think if, if, if I can control that process, then I have a better idea of how well it's going to go. But that's not good thinking. Because it is his process. And he has full control. It is my job to be obedient to what he is asking me to do. Because in the end, it's his process. And so when he is in control, the process will go as he planned it. Not as I want it to go. 
See, our trust in Christ must bring us to that point of abandonment. Our willingness to pour out our lives. And this was kind of a a neat thing for Paul to use that phrase because in and around that area, part of the, the pagan rituals that they would pour out wine both before and after events or meals as kind of a, a, a prayer or a giving of grace. And so there was a recognition when he mentioned the idea of being poured out for our lives, an understanding of how important it is for those believers to operate under grace through Christ. Paul really was saying that, says that your Christian fidelity and and your loyalty are already a sacrifice to God. So he's saying, if death for Christ should come to me, I am willing and glad that my life should be poured out as a libation on the altar of which your sacrifice is being made. And so Paul is reminding us that it is sacrifice rather than self-indulgence that is the basis for the achievements of believers. That was the sacrifice, but there is a satisfaction that comes with this. Verse 18, it says, in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Hmm. Paul was willing to make his life a sacrifice to God. And if it happened, he wanted those in his church to know that it should be all joy. He didn't want them to be sad at what his conditions was, being held in bondage in prison. They didn't, he didn't want them to be sad for him. They wanted him, they wanted, he wanted them to be filled with joy. To him, every call to sacrifice and to toil was a call to his love for Christ. And so it should not be met with regret or even complaint, but joy instead. Now, for a lot of people, and on occasion, many people associate sorrow with suffering. It's a common connection. But again, Paul sees suffering and sacrifice as a doorway to have a deeper joy with Christ. And so he's urging them, don't be sorrowful. Don't don't mourn over the trials that you go through. Don't mourn over the trials that I'm going through. Because really, I want you to rejoice because these things I'm going through, even though it may look like it's it's a terrible thing, they are helping me to work out my salvation. And so they could share in joy with Paul as they communicated with him their assurance, and their joy. So there's three things I want us to remember this morning as the worship team comes up. One thing I want us to understand that we are to trust Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. There has to be a real commitment there. It can't be halfway. It can't be partial. It's not a part-time gig. It's not a one, it's not a 10 hour a week gig. It's a true commitment. It starts with trusting Christ. Today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning maybe his Holy Spirit is pulling you. 
and saying, this is what I want for you. Would love to talk to you. We also have to remember that our spiritual growth, our spiritual life is not just a series of disappointments, their ups and downs, but rather it's a sequential aspect of ins and outs. We may not see the delight in those ins and outs, but God is using those as he helps us to work out our faith. And the example comes from Christ, that, that energy from the Holy Spirit, all of that results in joy. Interesting story about Billy Graham that I'll close with. Billy Graham was asked um, before one of his meetings, asked him, you know, if he was, the interviewer asked him, are you, are you looking forward to going to heaven? And he was like, yeah, I want to see God. Well, there was a, a, a memory that came up. And uh, they were, where were they at? They were in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he was asked to, to, to speak. And at the time, he was dealing heavily with Parkinson's. He was in the midst of a heavy affection there. And so he agreed. And they were honoring him at this particular luncheon. And so as he gets up, he mentions something about Albert Einstein. He said Albert was he, was, he was on a train and going along and the conductor came down the row and getting tickets. And the conductor got to him and asked for his ticket and he's looking in pockets and he can't find his ticket. And uh, the conductor says, I know who you are. I know you wouldn't have got on this train if you hadn't got a ticket. Conductor proceeds to walk down the aisle. As he's coming back down the aisle, he notices Albert Einstein is on hands and knees on the floor looking for that ticket. The conductor reassured him, we know who you are. But he says, listen, don't worry. We trust you. But then he looked at him. He said, I don't think you understand. I don't know where I'm going. The ticket was an identifier of who he was, but it was as an identification of where he was going. And he made this really interesting notation. He says, the suit that I'm wearing speaking to you this morning my kids thought I was getting a little sloppy with my outfit. And so I went and bought a new suit. But I'm only going to wear it twice. I'll wear it today. And then I will wear it when I die. He says, I'm really, not only do I know who I am, he says, but I know where I'm going. So my question for you this morning, do you know where you're going? Do you know if you're working out your salvation? Do you know Jesus Christ is Lord? This morning, I would love to be able to help you answer those questions for sure. As we sing, as we stand, 
Whatever decision is this morning to ask Jesus Christ in your life, to recommit your life to Him, or to be a part of this body of believers as a member, whatever that decision is, you come and I'll be right out front as we sing. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.